Some of you know that I just came back from the States, and um, we were, my, me and my sisters were settling my dad's estate. My dad passed away back in October. And I found that doing this was an interesting exercise. Um, basically, it's a very sobering thing to dismantle somebody else's life, especially when it's your parents. And you're basically, you know, most of my dad's stuff um, got sold at a yard sale, you know, in an estate sale. And then there's a few items that I took that probably my kids are going to settle at an estate sale one day when I'm gone. And that's what happens at the end of a person's life. And it's a very sobering and interesting thing. In the end, in the, end the only real thing that is left in a life is how you influence others, the memories you create, and what has been sent forward to Christ. Those are really the only things that are really good, because we're all going to have that estate sale one day. It's just how it is. Genesis 2 and 7 says, that The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Basically, all we are is dirt, a living soul living in dirt. And then you find out later on in Ecclesiastes, it says 12 and 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth. As it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So the, the living soul inside is going to return to God, and the dirt's going to go back into the dirt. It's a pretty easy cycle when you think about it. I guess it's recycling. I don't know. But the Bible also teaches us to know them that labor among you. And I've been laboring at this church. I like calling it laboring because it's, it's a labor of love. And I'm so grateful that God saved me that I could never outgive what God's done in my life. And if, if you, you'll learn a little bit about what that was. So I want to share with you an amazing story about God's involvement in my family as a whole. We haven't always had a culture of Christianity. And the title of this message is Creating a Christian Culture. We haven't always had a culture of Christianity in my family. And reality is we rarely had a culture of Christianity. There were those who either lived in ignorance and rebelled against God or those that rebelled against God, and God created this quick, brief history I'd like to share. This is a story about a God that is faithful in spite of the many things that tried to thwart his plans for my family, knowing their creator. So I'm going to introduce you to my family. So if you'll hit the slideshow. This guy right here is my great-grandfather. He was a circuit preacher. I didn't find this out until after I was saved, I got saved. And his name is Dennis Weimer. And a circuit preacher basically in the olden days would go from church to church to church on like a horse usually. And like this church didn't have a pastor, so he might preach here and then the, and the elders would run the church and then he'd go over to this church and so forth. He had 12 kids. I don't know where he found the time, to be honest, to do all of this because that's quite a, quite a big responsibility. But he was a circuit preacher. The next guy is his son. That guy up there, that mean-looking, unhappy fella, is the only picture of my grandfather that we have. He was not a Christian. Based on the fruits of his life, there is nothing about him. He basically was a lousy guy, for lack of better ways of putting it. He beat my grandmother. He was a drunk. He was all of these things that nobody aspires to ever be. I don't know if he was a Christian at one time and backslid, or he just ignored God. So consequently, this is the guy that raised my dad. So we go next. Here's my mom and dad when they got married. Now, my mom was raised Catholic, and the Catholic Church wanted my mom to sign, a, my dad to sign a document saying that he would raise us Catholic if we, you know, and if we didn't, then she was not going to be, it was a big mess, and 
Dad wasn't going to have this Catholic church telling him what to do, and so mom and dad just kind of left religion. And they said, you know, we were raised to, to, you know, you don't talk about politics and religion. Anybody ever heard that one in your family? Yeah, and so we were raised that, and that's mom and dad that got married. As a matter of fact, my grandfather didn't like my dad on my mother's side. So his dad was a bum, and her father didn't even show up their wedding because he, didn't, he said to my dad, I thought my, wife, my daughter could do better than you. So he didn't show up to the wedding. So this was their start in life, okay? This is my dad's start in life. So moving on. So that guy in the middle there is me as a little kid. That's my brother, Eddie, my sister, Lori, and my younger sister, Doreen. You move on. There's us a little while later. Well, maybe a lot later. But and as you see, you know, that we, we always were a close family, and we always did things as a family. My dad was... My dad used to have a weird saying, and he'd say, I never hit your mother, you always had a roof over your head, and you always had food on the table. And I thought, isn't that what you're supposed to do? I mean, seriously, that's like the, the basics of being a parent, right? But his dad beat his mother. His dad didn't put a roof over their head, and his dad did not put food on the table. So to him, he took it up a notch. But when you're a kid, you don't think like this. But when you get older, you start seeing your parents as people instead of those guys raising me and telling me what to do. So that's us later on in life. So moving on. This is my, on the right is my son, Mitchell, and on the middle is my daughter, Candace. Let's move on. These are my grandchildren, some of my grandchildren. That's Brandon right there. That's Kimberly. That's Jamie. And that's Shelby. Those are my grandchildren. This is us at the aquarium. My daughter, of course, as she's older. And, of course, uh, Shirley was there at that time. I didn't ask permission, no, dear. I didn't ask permission for any of this, so. I didn't ask my brothers and sisters either, so. So, moving on. This is my dad a couple of months ago. Wouldn't it be Father's Day of last year. And that's Mitchell Allen Weimer III. That's my grandson also. Moving on. Last but not least, this is my granddaughter, Shelby, and my great-granddaughter, Jade. So that's my family, give or take. So, so let's move on. So the coast may have the most diverse culture you can find. I mean, we went around our block inviting people to church one day. And what happened is, is we go around and we're knocking on the doors and people, you know, they're like, you know, seriously, most of them are like, like, like what do you want, you know? There was only one Pakia Kiwi family on the entire block. Everybody else were foreigners. Everybody else brought their own culture into the scene. Okay? Each of us have a culture. So what's a culture? Culture is made up of basically, there's a lot more to this, but the country you were born in and raised in. I have, I was raised in an American culture, in case you all didn't notice that. The area of that country you were raised in. If I was raised in Georgia, I'd be talking like this. Okay, but I wasn't. I was raised in Maryland, right in the middle, so I don't have a northern and I don't have a southern accent. Your socioeconomic situation. Were you poor? Were you rich? Were you in the middle? That factors into what your culture is all about. The family you were born in to and their traditions. Different families have different ways of doing things. My grandmother did this, my grandfather did this, so forth, and that's how we do it as a family. And then those that you choose to associate with. 
Your culture is going to be, you know, they say evil communications corrupt good manners. You hang out with the wrong people, you're going to become a wrong person. It's a hang out with good people, you're going to become a good person. Well, maybe. So, moving on. By the way, Matt told me I had a half an hour to do this. I've said grace longer than that over a meal, okay? So that's why I'm moving along really fast. <laughs> so an American stereotype of a different cultures. Here's your American stereotype, okay? Usually we're known as being fat, loud, opinionated, also while being patriotic and generous, okay? So that's your, anybody agree with that? That's kind of how it goes, right? Now I'm going to, com I compare Americans to Kiwis like this. Americans have extrovert personalities with an introvert worldview. Okay, we think about America, we think the whole world revolves around America, and economically a lot of the times it does. But that's just how Americans think. Kiwis, on the other hand, have an introvert personality. It's really hard to get to know a Kiwi. They'll, they'll, they'll let you in a little bit. But getting to know them is tough, from what my experience is. But they have an extrovert worldview. The whole world affects our economy, everything that goes with us, you know. And so they want to do the big OE. I never even heard of an OE before I came to New Zealand. Okay? So Americans, they can cover all of the United States, Canada. Went before 9-11, you could go to Canada, you could go to America, you could go to Mexico, you could go to the Bahamas without a passport. So 9-11 changed some things, but you can imagine, you've got that vast area. They're like, no, we don't need to go anywhere else. Why would I want to go over there? I haven't seen all of America, so it's that kind of a mentality. So these other stereotypes, by the way, I've gotten from friends who are these people. So this is not me. Just so, <laughs> so go to the next one. The British. The British stereotype. This is what my friend wrote, because I asked him to write this. I'm quoting him. If you want his name later, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Brits have a stiff upper lip and like to keep calm and carry on as if nothing happened in the midst of everything. South Africans. <laughs> South Africans are very confident and outspoken. We call a spade a spade. This is actually my British friend's wife who wrote this, who's South African. We also have a quirky saying, see you just now. Even if we, don't, we won't be seeing each other for months, we have Narchies, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Cokies? Takeys, we are incredibly loyal and work extremely hard. We are who we are and we is who we is. So that's what she wrote. Now, here's the kicker. Stereotypical Christians. That's what the world thinks of us a lot. We're trying to shove religion down their throat. We're, we're right, they're wrong. We're angry at them. That's what people think. Now, I don't know who you've crossed paths with, but I've seen that a lot in my lifetime. You know, people think that Christians, and, and they also think that we're weird. You know, they think that we're really off the wall. So, I think that's the last one, isn't it? Is that the last one? So how do we change the perspective of this world about Christianity to create a Christian culture? Is that the last one? I have to look at my slides now because I was going to read off my slides. That's it, right? You can get rid of it then. Thanks. Chuck Swindoll wrote, I read this Thursday when I was flying in. Uh, I actually, I read it Friday after I'd flown in. I flew into Los Angeles. And in his devotional written by Chuck Swindoll, he wrote, it while flying into Los Angeles and feeling a burden for the masses of people he was flying over. I also was flying into Los Angeles last Thursday. Chuck wrote, how can I possibly get my arms around this monstrous task? 
What can I do to reach the multiple millions in Southern California? Suddenly, God reminded me, as he does to this day, I will never reach them all. That is humanly impossible. But I am responsible for those I come in contact with, and with God's help, I will make a difference in their lives. I will make a difference in their lives. I stopped paying attention to the enormity of the impossible and started pouring my time and energy into the possible. The people in the place where God had called me and my family call my vision limited, if you will, but it has made the difference in my peace of mind. I cannot do it all. I cannot get my arms around the vast boundaries of our region. No one can. But I am able to touch those who come into the scope of my radar screen. Peace of mind comes in knowing that in at least their lives, my touch can make a difference. Even if it is only one here and there, one somewhere else. So who are we? Do you know who you are? You are significantly the most insignificant person in everybody else's life who you cross paths with. So what's that mean? We are, you are a vessel for bringing them Christ. By ourselves, we're nothing. But Christ in us is everything. We bring hope. We bring the power of God. We bring truth and everything that is good through Christ into this world. That's who you are. Take that in. Put that in your heart. You are so important to the people whose paths you cross with. You're the most significant person that they're going to meet, especially if they don't have Jesus. Now, I grew up as a child without Christ. I was taught you don't discuss politics and religion. Due to this, I grew up spiritually ignorant. I was a parent at a very young age, as you can tell. And I tried of my own volition to create a family, you know, and I tried to do it, and that quickly turned to custard. I messed my family up. As a young adult parent, by the time I was 27, I was a functioning drug addict. Separated from my wife and children, I was dealing drugs, I was mean, and I was heavily into using my own product. I was my best customer. I was dating a pole dancer and dealing drugs through the bar that she danced at. I smoked one and a half packs of cigarettes a day, three on Fridays and Saturday nights when I was out really kicking it in as partying and stuff. That is the person I am without Christ. So if you see anything better than that person here, don't think I'm something special. That's Jesus. Okay? Otherwise, you're just looking at a drug addict, drug dealing, probably dead human being because I'd have died a long time ago based on the life that I was living. But through the grace of God, something wonderful happened. The dancer, it turned out, was backslidden. She had turned her back on God. And, but her family were Christians. And I, go, I met her family, and I'm like, why are they the way you are and, you know, the way, way that they are and you're the way you are? Well, you know, when you're not living for God and you know you should be, that's kind of grating. You know, that can, that can get under your skin. Needless to say, it kind of ended our relationship. She recommitted her life to Christ. I went, I went to move her because I had a furniture shifting company then. And at the end of the day, she invited me to church that Tuesday evening. I went to church. And my first church experience was in an elementary school. There was a brand new church. They set it up. Matter of fact, if you turn that piano around, that's where the pastor's wife would be sitting. I'm sitting in the chair. And the guy who did the service, the pastor wasn't there because he was out of town. The guest speaker couldn't make it because of inclement weather. And the youth pastor 
winged a sermon. Now, Jay was a great guy. He loved Jesus, but he was a stinking preacher. <laughs> Even on his best day, he couldn't preach a good message. I love Jay to death, but let's face it, we all have our gifts and talents, and this wasn't his wheel, you know, in his wheel. So he's winging a message. I couldn't even tell you what the message was. And I thought, well, this is nice, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then all of a sudden, the pastor's wife starts playing the piano, and she does what I found out later to be an altar call. And she says, you could have a brand new start in life. You can, you, 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 God will forgive everything, and you can start over. And I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm like, I need to do that. No, that's not cool. I need, and I went back and forth on this thing, and I decided I'm not going to do it. Can everybody hear me? Just as clear as you can hear my voice, God spoke to me and said, if you don't come up and do what I ask, you're going to die and go to hell. And your children are going to die and go to hell. And your family's going to die. And a lot of other people are going to die and go to hell because you won't do what I'm asking. And I got scared. He's real. And I thought about this and I thought, I got to get up there. So I get up there and I walk up to the piano and I'm standing there staring at this woman like, what next? And... None of the guys wanted to pray for me because I was a little intimidating looking back then. And finally this guy comes up and he says, you need to pray. So I knelt down and I prayed. And my whole salvation prayer was, God, what she said, I want. That's it, but I meant it. And I, like I said, I used to be a furniture shifter. I used to move those things all the time. And it felt like every piano I had ever lifted was lifted right off of me. I felt that, that whole thing of sin just leave, and I felt the presence of God come in, and I did the most uncool thing in the world. I started crying, and I got saved. So I was advised then that the first thing you want to do is tell people. Tell people you gave your life to Jesus. Now, I reckon this is a good plan, because when you tell people that you're a Christian, they're going to be looking at you. Most of them laughed, mocked, made fun of it. Very few people took me seriously. That was 34 years ago. I wonder if they're laughing now. Yeah. Witnessing to strangers on the job. I used to go out and do a moving job every day. Every day I'd go out on a moving job, I'd talk to them about Jesus. They thought I was a fanatical Christian mover type guy. I always found an inroad, though, of some way to talk to them about Jesus. And some of them laughed. Some of them you know, mocked. Some of them were saved, and we had a great time talking about Jesus then on the moving job, which was cool. And some of them actually got saved. I can remember kneeling down at people's dining room chairs and praying with them and them giving their life to Jesus while I'm doing a moving job with them. So I would witness to people. I would talk to people, and I had to learn what it was to be a Christian. What's my time? What time am I supposed to be done? Huh? 11. Okay, great. I'm doing good. Yep, page five. Good. The thing that it was, was I needed to figure out what being a Christian was all about. Because, see, I came from this other world, you know? And so, I need, what's it like to be a Christian businessman? Well, you're not allowed to cheat on your taxes anymore. It took me two years to learn that after I got saved. I was giving the money to the church. Hey, you'll live, you know? I thought God would be happy with that, you know? I was getting cash jobs, and I'm giving it to the church. And I, was, I had to learn. Nope, you pay your taxes, and God will bless you. I had to learn what it was to be a Christian dad. I was a terrible father. And I had to learn being a Christian dad. And it didn't come overnight. It wasn't like the deliverance of the cigarettes and the alcohol. and the, I was delivered of all of that the night I got saved. 
God just did a miracle in my life, but he didn't do the miracle of sanctification of my life, setting it apart for him and allowing him to develop me as the man that I'm supposed to become. What is it like to be a Christian son? Now, six months into this, I'm praying about these things, and God says, I want you to love your dad. My dad was a hard man. I didn't like him. I told God, I don't like him. You're telling me to love him. I don't like him. God said, I don't like you a whole lot either, but I always loved you. <laughs> Can't argue with that one. So I started loving my dad. I started introducing his culture into my family. I would tell my dad every time I talked to him, I loved him. Nobody ever did that in our family. We're a bunch of hard-nosed Germans, for goodness sakes. That's our heritage. And so you don't tell people. Give him a hug. Oh, man, that was just way over the top for my dad, but I'd give him a hug every time I seen him. I started loving my dad. I started doing it with my family. And to this day, because I introduced that into my family, I talk to my sisters over in the States, and before we hang up the phone, we tell each other we love each other. It's a part of our family culture now. Well, I had to be proactive and make that happen. Somebody has to do it for your family. And it's not always easy, because my family thought I was nuts. And it makes them mad, too, when you're the Christian, and you think you're so much better than everybody else. Anybody else get that one? <laughs> you know, or, you know, who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I just choose to live a better life that God's given me. I committed to loving my dad and my family, and it, and, it, and it went into becoming a part of our lives. I was constantly changing with God, graciously showing me the next thing I needed to work on. One thing I was also made aware of was that there were those who could use my help in their growth, while others that could help me in mine. We're all connected like this. Some of you guys I can help. Some of you guys I can't. Some of you guys can help me. Some of you guys can't. We need to figure that out. We're the body of Christ. If we do that, then we are going to change the culture of this area. If you stay away from each other and keep that shy, oh, you know, I'm kind of reserved, I'm not going to do that, then it ain't going to happen. We've got to get out of ourselves and allow God to do it. So my family realized the Christianity I had was real. They didn't embrace it right away, but because I lived a life convicted to constantly allow Jesus to change me in a more positive way, they did respect it. There were times, though, when it bugged them as they continued to reject what God had for them. Sometimes they would take it out on me, and sometimes I didn't handle that well. Other times I did. This is where I learned that God's grace is sufficient. If you don't handle it well, if you lose the plot with your family or somebody else, you need to go and apologize. And I don't know about you, but if you don't like, I don't like apologizing. So that's a lesson learned. If I got to apologize. So if I'm going to screw it up, I got to apologize. So I don't want to have to apologize, so stop screwing it up. It's pretty simple when you get right down to it. And then what happened is, is all of a sudden, I want to talk about funerals. Don't look at this as a glum thing. We're all going to have one. The first funeral I remember going to was my grandma's. It was done by a Catholic priest who didn't know her from Adam and basically got up there, did a bunch of religious rituals, and it ticked my dad off. Didn't exactly make me happy either. It was this religious ceremony that had nothing to do with Jesus, and Dad and I were upset. And I talked to Dad, and I said, Dad, if anybody else in our family, you know, when a funeral takes place, if you'd like me to speak, I'd be happy to speak. And the next one was my other grandma's. Well, I only spoke at that when it was the beginning of something amazing that God was doing in my family. 
12 years ago, my mom died. She had cancer. I didn't get to spend the last days of her life with her due to the travel arrangements and things like that, but my sister assures me that she talked to my mom, and my mom gave her life to Jesus. When my sisters asked my dad, what are we going to do about the funeral? Dad says, Mitchell, take care of it. I never did a whole full-blown funeral before. I had to make every arrangement. I had to work with the funeral director. I had to do it. Fortunately, I had a real good friend who was a funeral director in New Zealand. So he kind of outlined what I needed to do, and he helped me through that. Once again, each of us helping each other. Eight years ago, my brother died. He had cancer. Cancer seems to be a common thread in my family, unfortunately. I rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I come against it. When my brother passed away eight years ago, Shirley and myself went out to him the year before uh, when he found out that he had the cancer, and Shirley actually got to pray with Eddie and lead him to Christ. Okay, and Ed was with me when I got saved. Him and I were roommates at the time. I did my brother's funeral twice. He lived in Missouri, so we did a funeral service for him there. And then I did my brother's funeral at our, in Midland, Virginia, which is where our family burial plot is, which is um, we have a funeral there for the family. So, and that's where my brother got buried. So I did my brother's funeral there, and that's where my dad came in. And my dad says to me, my dad was kind of sickly then. Mom had been passed away for two years. No, four years by then. And, and my dad says to me, um, could you come upstairs? I want to talk to you. And I went into his bedroom, and he says, I was so glad to hear that Eddie got his life right with God. Would you pray with me? 26 years later, from when I started loving my dad, sometimes it takes time. The last eight years of my life with my dad has been amazing. We Skyped every Saturday. That's why if you ask me to do something on Saturday mornings to help people, I say, I can't. I'm Skyping with my dad. I recorded them. I have them now. Now, when Eddie, when we went there originally to speak with Eddie about Jesus, my grandson, Brandon, came up to me. I was at, I was at my son's house. And this friend of mine, Jesse, who's like this full-on Christian, he just loves getting people saved and going out there and talking to people about Jesus. And he comes in, and he's talking about people getting saved and all this. And then the night waned in, and it was just me and my grandson sitting there. And he says, Papa, could you tell me exactly what he meant by being saved? And I said, to him, basically, we're, we don't get born with a relationship with Jesus. Went through the whole thing. And he says, you know, I think I'd like to become a Christian. And my grandson gave his life to Jesus that night. Sorry. My son says I'm becoming a sentimental person or whatever it is, a softy or whatever, but little did I know then that a year later my grandson was going to be in an accident and pass away. And that was the hardest funeral I ever did. But I did my grandson's funeral. The last two years, we have dealt with, Shirley and I, Sickness, death, but also answer to prayer. Last year, I got vertigo. Is Kate here? Oh, she's in a crash. If you ever tell Kate you get vertigo, she's going to become your mom. <laughs> she's a wonderful person. I got vertigo, and for months, I was dealing with vertigo. It affected our income. It affected our lives it affected our ability to earn, basically, because I'm billable hours in our business and everything. And, and 
I was going to, last year Christmas, not this past, but the year before, I'm going to America and I'm talking to the doctors and everything about the vertigo and they're telling me I can give you pills and things like this. And I said, Jesus, I said, everything I own is yours. My house, my motorcycle, my new jet ski, as a matter of fact. Thank you, Jesus. Um, my, yeah, thank you, Jesus from Pop. My dad gave that to me, but... In the long run, what happened is, as I said, everything, my body, my bank account, everything is Jesus's. I'm the caretaker of the things that I'm blessed with. And I said, and you know what? This vertigo, I'm giving to you too. I have not had a bout of vertigo since. That's my Jesus. So last July, this past July, I decided to switch doctors. And my elbow was giving me a fit. I have golfer's elbow, and I don't even play golf. I don't get it, but, you know. And so I took up golf maybe, well, since I got it, I may as well try it a little bit. So we went and hit golf balls while I was in the States. And anyway, he wanted to do a full physical. I changed doctors. JD's his name. And when I went to go visit, go change doctors, what happened is, is uh, he said I want to do bloods and things like that. Turns out I had cancer. Peter had just gotten up the week before and talked about being healed of cancer. So he's been, he was praying for me. Within three months, they, they do this test. And the test is to see if you've got it anywhere else besides the area that they've located the cancer in. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to Jesus about taking this test. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do if I'm riddled with this? For one, I don't want to tell my dad I have cancer. Because my dad's lost so many to this horrible disease, you know, or sickness or whatever it is. And so I was like... So I'm taking this test, and I'm like, God, if, if I'm going to be riddled with this stuff, I'm asking you to help me to do it gracefully. Help me to do it in a way that is going to edify you. And I'm not saying this because I'm a super saint, but after 34 years of doing this, if I ain't going to put my trust in him then, I, it's been a farce. You know, it's, it's been a joke. I've been living a lie. So I just got to trust you. Fortunately, my wife's giving me the two-minute sign. I have two minutes here. Oh, that's not a good thing to do in New Zealand, is it? Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I didn't do it the wrong way. Thank you. So, so anyway, it turns out that the area that it was in, it was encapsulated. And so within three months, in October, I went in. I got surgery. It got removed. And it just started breaking loose from the area that it was encapsulated in. And they cut it out to where they got it all. And I don't have cancer anymore. And that, that falls in. Yes, thank God. And had I postponed it, I, I might be riddled with this stuff now. But the Bible also says the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by God. I went to that doctor not because in JD, my doctor wants Jesus. I've been talking to him about Jesus. He's hungry for Jesus. He loves Jesus and what Jesus has to bring. He will be coming to this church. <laughs> so why share all this? Through all of this, I know without a doubt God is faithful. And he wants us to grow into mature Christians. Too many times I see Christians who say they are going to to church to fill up their tank and get fed. I want to let you know that isn't what church is about. It's about teaching you how to fill your own tank up. Okay? And if you haven't learned that, come talk to one of us because we want to show you how to fill your own tank up. Church is about helping people to come into a relationship with Jesus so that they can grow and develop into the person God called them to be so that they can use their gifts and talents to help people to get into a relationship with Jesus. And it just goes on and on and on. That's what we're all about. So if you're missing something in there, let us know. We want to help you with that. Come to church to serve the one who saved you by serving others. 
You'll get out of yourself and grow just by doing it. You will also create the greatest friendships and become part of the greatest community you could ever imagine. These are great folks in here. I've gotten to know a lot of these people in here, and they're just great people to know. A recent observation about church throughout the world has been said, said that a lot of Christians come every other week. If you do that and others are watching you, and they are, if you're telling them you're a Christian, if you're trying to be a closet Christian, that don't actually work, so stop that. <laughs> and they will see someone that treats church as optional. Okay? I can say these things because I'm not your pastor. Matt, Matt would have a hard time saying it, so I'm just going to say this stuff to you. Church is what God designed to grow his kingdom. If we don't take it seriously, others won't take it seriously either, or us. My great-grandfather started it for my family. I don't know how he came to faith, and even though my grandfather wasn't faithful to continue, God chose me, a drug-addicted, no-good-for-nothing person, to bring Christ back into my family. And even to bring faith to my dad, the son of a man that chose not to be faithful. That's the kind of God we serve. Don't do it out of guilt. Just be people of strong conviction. Please understand that all I'm trying to do is show you that your faithfulness to God creates a Christian culture in your world you live in. People will come to you during hard times because they need something more than this world can offer them. And they need to be able to come to you as you may be the only one they feel they can come to. Pray for and with your children, family members, and friends. Teach them about God. Take advantage of this wonderful institution called the church. Be there for others and let others be there for you. It works. I've seen it firsthand. Make Christ your number one priority. Whether you're young or old, you will live to enjoy the blessings of God in your life. It may not be the things of this world, but it will be in seeing those you love influence not only for this life, but the eternity that awaits them. Now, I want you to listen to this, dads. This is for the dads. Sorry, but I love the dads. I love seeing the dads that go into the crash area and so forth, and I'm winding this up. I apologize for running over. One thing I really like seeing is the dads that get involved with their children at church. Here's an interesting bit of information for you guys. One startling bit of research conducted by the Christian Businessmen's Committee found the following. When the father is an active believer, there is about a 75% chance likelihood that his children will also become active believers. But if only the mother is a believer, this likelihood is dramatically reduced to 15%. Basically what this means, Dad, you give your children a 60% greater opportunity to make heaven by making heaven yourself. So those guys that are here, keep up the good work. You matter more than you realize. So with that, um, yeah, if we could have some music, I'd appreciate that. I want to close with this. One of the things that we do here is we have the opportunity for people to pray. Take advantage of that. We have times when the church closes and nobody comes up for prayer. Well, I don't know about you, but I need help. Y'all need help too. I've gotten to know some of you guys, okay? So, so take advantage of it. You can't go to work on Monday and say, hey, man, would you pray for me? I'm having a really rough day. Take advantage of this institution. God has put it in motion for you. I want to share the last thing with you. I knew a man who needed help, longed for peace of mind. He searched everywhere for it. He thought it was in having a good woman. He thought it was in having a good family. He thought it was in having financial success. None of these things gave him the peace that he longed for. This poor man I knew searched in other places for inner peace. He took up drinking and it wasn't there. He took up trying drugs. He couldn't find peace there either. He took his success in business and became prideful and arrogant. He still didn't have the inner peace, so he desperately longed for. It. 
While searching for inner peace in all the things this world has to offer, this man I knew only met with tragedy. In all the experimenting he did, he destroyed all the good things that he accomplished in his life. He had less peace in the long run than he had when he started. This poor man was lonely, alone, close to ruin, and empty. Then this man met another man whose name was Jesus. This man gave the peace to the other man that he had been searching for. The peace he gave him, I still have now. I get more and more of it the closer I get to Jesus. I can't forget that other man. I see him every time I look in the eyes of all the lost souls in this world. I feel sorry for any person who doesn't know Jesus. I know they can't possibly have the inner peace that I've experienced. Their souls are crying out and they don't even know what they're crying for. I pray that the Lord Jesus will help me to help them to get to know him through my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've done for my family for the people that are here. Help us to not hide it. Help us to assertively go out and pronounce it to those that we have influence in. Help us to spread this culture so that other people, it's a culture, it's who we are, it's who we, you created us to be. Help us to get out there and unashamedly get out there and tell people about how good you are. And help us, those that, that struggle in this area, I pray that you will give them courage uh, I pray that they will know that you're going to be with them wherever they go. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That'll do us. <laughs>